Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. And joining us now is a three-time recipient of the Norris Trophy, is outstanding defenseman, 1963, 1964, and 1965. He was a runner-up in 1962, 66, and 67. That's all you have to know, meaning that he was a great defenseman. He was first or second All-Star team every year from 1960 to 1967. During his playing career, he played in 376 consecutive games. Wearing his familiar number three, he played his best hockey team with Elmer Moose Vasco on the Chicago Blue Line. Together they formed one of the great all-time defensive pairings in NHL history. He was a fixture on the Chicago Blackhawk power play on the point due to his ability to handle the puck. Probably use him on the Rangers power play right now. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1975. In 1998, he ranked number 59 on the Hockey News list of 100 greatest hockey players. 2005, he was in a series of stamps to train great hockey stars. The Canadian Post honored him. It's our pleasure to welcome one of hockey's greats, the author of a tremendous new book, Heart of the Blackhawks, Pierre Palat. Welcome, Pierre. Hi. Who am I talking with, Mark or it, AJ? Right now it's Mark because Mark talks more hockey than AJ. AJ, right. uh, not not the hugest of hockey Mark, fans. Mark, Mark will do most of the talking. This is AJ. So every okay, once in a while, very, I'll jump in. Okay, very good. <laughs> now, so, so now you didn't truly play organized hockey until you were 17, but you still have a reminder of maybe your first hockey injury, courtesy of one of the Christian brothers from Sacred Heart Academy. You claim it's one of your earliest hockey memories, and, and you still feel it to this day. So can you tell us a little more about that? <laughs> well, I, 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 I can't, it's so far back, I can't remember that injury, you know? <laughs> uh, but... Um, are you talking about major injury? No, no, it's the one you said it was your first memory of actually skating on the ice with your mom's skates and... Uh... Oh, okay, well, you know, uh, the reason uh, I didn't get going too early is because my family, uh, when I was 12 years old, moved the whole family to Fort Erie, Ontario. And in, uh, when I was 12 years old, and uh, uh, the only thing I had to skate there was no rink there. The rink had collapsed and they hadn't rebuilt it. Uh, I think it was about four years before they rebuilt. So it wasn't until I was 17 that I started playing hockey, uh, organized hockey. But the only skate I had uh, when I was 12, 13 was my mother's skates. We weren't too rich, you know, and uh, that's how we... Anyway... I made it. <laughs> <laughs> you played baseball as a teenager, and you were pretty good. As you mentioned, you hadn't played organized hockey until 64, until 17, mainly because the local rink collapsed in a storm. New rink yeah. opened, and the company you worked for and played on the company's softball team started thinking of putting together a hockey team. They thought, obviously, since you're French-Canadian, you must be a good hockey player. But that wasn't really the turning point for you. It was reading an article about a New York Ranger. So can you tell us who that Ranger was and what about the article made you want to be an NHL player? Oh, my goodness. Where did you get all that information? Anyway, uh, I think the fellow that uh, was featured, his name was Elder LePrat. Right. Yeah, he was, uh, somehow I had dark hair and he about my size and there was a picture of him and somehow the French name and that. And, of course, I was playing baseball those days, and I happened to pick up this hockey magazine, and I looked at that, and I said, my goodness, I like to be uh, 
I like to be like him, like, you know. And I did the same thing in baseball. I remember when we were playing baseball and we had won an all-ontary championship and they've asked a, uh, a, a guest speaker and the guest speaker was a catcher from the Philadelphia Athletic. His name was Buddy Rosar. I don't know if you go back that far. And I remember sizing myself up next to him, you know, after the speech. And, you know, I said, geez, yeah, he's about, you know, I can be that size. You know, looking at his, uh, his uh, World Cup, I mean, the uh, uh, baseball uh, ring. And, uh, and that's how uh, I think athletes, they got to look at, uh, you know, what's ahead, who was there first, like, you know, and trying to emulate them. Now, now Laprada is now, he's 94 years old. I believe he might be the oldest living Ranger. Um, he? Yeah, he, he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 93. So I guess yeah. the question is, have you ever met him? And in your wildest dreams, sitting in that barbershop, reading that magazine, seeing his picture, could you ever envision you and he being in the Hockey Hall of Fame? No, it, you know what? It did happen when he got inducted. And uh, I don't know if we got time, but... He wasn't feeling too good. When it happened, he had a little uh, heart problem. But he came down, and I met him. And he was kind of, you know, not feeling too well. And I met him the next year. And this time, he was really, uh, you know, like he was really feeling good. And we started talking. I'm just amazed. Uh, You know, I just went back. You know, when you're talking to somebody, and you start thinking about when you're 14, 15, 16, thinking about the guy that you're looking at, little picture, like, you know, mm. just amazing. Now, you played parts of five seasons with the Buffalo Bisons, but during right. the 55-56 season, in your book, you talk about the AHL and, more importantly, that mystical eureka moment when you develop your hockey sense. Can you tell us a little bit more about that moment and what it actually meant to your career? Well, what happens, you know, uh, when... Uh, you know, uh, you can have all the ability in the world. You can be the fastest skate, the best stick handler. But in even in baseball, any kind of sport, like, there is something about understanding how the game is played. And uh, can you figure out what, how the play should develop or they come at you? And, of course, I had a lot of get up and go, like, you know, and I did spur the moment thing. But all uh, it was about, it was in the practice in Buffalo, and I remember um, uh, I went to get the puck, and I said, no, let the other guy get it. And at that moment, all of a sudden, I said, that's how you got to play. And all the plays, uh, even though I didn't play hockey, I watched hockey games uh, on the board. Like, you know what I mean? I would go and watch a game. And I'm kind of a visual guy. I remember things like, you know, how the plays were. And all of a sudden, the plays Plays all came to me. The game became so easy. Uh, I could figure out, like, you know, if I thought of one play and I didn't work, it just, you know, it was like a domino effect. Like, and I could just four or five plays, you know, if one didn't work, I just would, somehow it would come to me. And it would be the same thing, uh, say, on defense. You know, I could figure out how I could defend against people. But you have to have that. Uh, nobody can tell you. You have to visualize and kind of, put it in your database, you know, and, but uh, I never had, I mean, I, I wasn't that bad of a player, but I didn't have that instinct to figure out instantly the next play. Pierre, this is AJ. As you talk about developing your own instinct, how much, especially maybe things are a lot different also back in, you know, 50s, uh, 
40s, how much did coaching play a role and how much did you really have to figure it out by yourself? You said you did it by yourself. Is that because right. the coaches weren't doing it? Well, in those days, a coach, it's amazing. A coach can tell you. I think the only thing, even in, uh, say, for instance, golf, you, you try to do it yourself, it's hard to do. Uh, somebody can teach you how to do it, but somehow your mind and your muscles have to act together. Like, you know what I mean? And there, uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, like you can see, say, in uh, uh, golf, and you see a guy hitting the ball, and you can visualize, and you're trying to mimic that with your body. And that's the, uh, But coaching, they can tell you, well, do this, do that. But you still, okay, you can go, you can learn how to skate backwards, forward, you can shoot. But the continuous play that you have to do, like, you know, say even basketball, you've got to be able to think out there and what's the next play. So the game, that's how it's played. I mean, uh, just think about playing baseball. I mean, you, you know, before the ball is hit to you and you're out in the outfield with your shortstop, third baseman, if the ball comes to you, you've got to figure out, depending on the situation, whether it's hit to the second base, or you've got to try to – You've got to know how to react to the thing. Otherwise, you're never the good ball player. Following up I don't know on, if I'm explaining myself right. No, perfect. But, but following up on AJ, the way things have changed. Oh, uh, yeah. You, in January 25th, 1956, you get the call up from the minors. You, you make your debut in Toronto. The Hawks don't make the playoffs your rookie year. You're sent back down to the Bisons for the playoffs. They're your team with a guy who would have a profound effect on your career. Interestingly enough, you describe the way this person signed his professional contract. It, it, that's just an indication of the way things have, have come so far. Can you tell our audience how Elmer <laughs> Moose Vasco, where he signed his, his first professional contract? Well, he had, he, was, he had finished his junior right? He uh, He would graduate to the pro way, eh? so they call him up in Buffalo. And I was playing like I was one year ahead of him, like I was older than him, so I graduated to the pros one year ahead of him. And they call him up to Buffalo to play, and <laughs> they have to sign a contract. So poor Elmer was in the washroom having a crap. Uh, well, I was sitting there anyway, and they said, where's Elmer? Elmer's there. So look, you got to sign this contract. That's how you sign his contract, <laughs> you know, right there in the washroom. So quite things have changed quite a bit, I would think. You think? Uh, what, why was he, he so important to your development as a defenseman? What about his game elevated your game? Well, when I, uh, I, I, came, to, I came to Chicago, I think a year or two before him, and uh, they, they paired us up. But he was a state-at-home type of defenseman, and I'm kind of like the, like the puck, and I would take chances. So he was the guy that would back me up. He's always back there. So I could take chances, and he had size too. Like you know, he could steer him into me. Uh, no, we uh, he had the size. I mean, I, I played at 180. I was one five ten, about 180. I never weighed more than that. If I weighed more than that, I didn't play well. And I really never. This is my natural weight. Like I never exercised or pushed weight or did anything like that. And maybe if I did, I could have been 200 pounds. But that that was not the thing to do those days. But Elmer would, would be the guy that stayed back and backed me up. But plays are, diff- are much different now. Uh, the game has changed quite a bit, and they train uh, a lot different than we, we did in our days. 
Now, your first three seasons with the Blackhawks, you failed to make the playoffs, but then the team starts turning it around, and then you make the playoffs every single year after that, and you're a huge part of the 1960-61 Stanley Cup champions. That team included Al Arbor, Bobby Hull, Stan Makita, Reg Fleming, yourself, and Glenn Hall. In the 12 games played in that run, you led all Hawks scoring with three goals, 12 assists for 15 points. Unfortunately, the Conn Smythe Trophy was introduced in 1964. Otherwise, you surely would have had another piece of hardware. What was that playoff run like for you? And describe that moment for us when you first get to put your hands on Lord Stanley's Cup. Well, um, uh, it, it is amazing. You know. I had a great series, and the reason I had a great series because I made sure that I was in tip-top condition, and my idea was I was not going to worry about winning or losing. I was going to play my best. So I had a lot of confidence. I didn't have a lot of pressure on me. And then we won the cup, and I remember touching it in uh, Detroit. I remember going to the airport. We couldn't fly back home to Chicago because of a snowstorm coming back. But the actual... Uh, really thrill of uh, winning the cup didn't happen to me till about two or three days later when I finally said, hey, this was a big thing. And that's how much I had psyched myself up just to play well and do my best. Amazing, eh? I didn't really uh, jump up and, you know, like a lot of people do. No, I was very <laughs> relaxed. Maybe that's how I play, like, you know. Your book devotes uh, some space to an event that I'm sure very few of today's hockey fans even know about. And we were actually talking about this at the press box last night in Madison Square Garden. I, I went down the entire row of the writers, and, and no one even had knowledge of this. Um, 1959, after the Hawks' exit from the playoffs, you join a New York Ranger team for an exhibition tour of Europe. So oh, can, yeah. can you tell our listeners a little bit about that, and what was it like playing on a team that, you know, for the most part, was uh, a bitter rival. Well, what happened is that this uh, this tour in Europe, uh, I think it was about 24 games in about 30 days, uh, could not be started till the playoff was over. Of course, the Boston Bruins and New York Rangers those days that were not making the playoff, I hate to say it like that. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the players could not, some of the players could not just stay in New York uh, for the extra three or four weeks with their family. So a lot of them moved their family back, so they need uh, extra players. Uh, so they've asked me, uh, Bobby Hall, uh, Litzenberger, and Gus Mortson to join. So anyway, we flew from New York to England. We played in England. We played in Switzerland, Germany. I was in Krafffel. Uh, and uh, we won the tournament. But it was amazing um, to play with a strange club, and we've seen. I think that's the year. Uh, Bobby was young, and I, I, of course, I was about. I think I'm about four years older than him. I think at that time, him and I we played about 25 games, 25 minutes a game. And I, I myself, that's when I saw Bobby, Bobby Hall, elevate his game to, uh, you know, to. Uh, to become the what they call the next year the golden jet, like you know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't believe how good he was. Anyway, we we had a great time, and uh, I'm trying to figure out the name of the coach now. Uh, I know that the general manager was uh, Muzz Patrick. Patrick right? called me. And guess what? I got to tell you, we got a thousand dollars for it. Wow! For, for all these games, that's something. And we got a thousand dollars 
and they were all $100 bills. I didn't know what to do with it. So guess what? I put her in 10 envelopes, and I sent it home. <laughs> At least they paid you in cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. You, you shouldn't have said that. Now the IRS is going to collect on that. Hey, it cost me 2000 so I I got 1000 I was $1,000 old, so I couldn't declare it anyway. You know? Now, your wonderful book, Heart of the Blackhawks, covers so much ground. It's a must-read for any hockey fan. As our time is limited, I'd love to end the interview with a quick game of word association. I'm going to throw out a name, and you tell me the first thing or story that pops into your head, Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, let's uh, make sure you, you name uh, the guy. Okay, go ahead. All right, John Ferguson. John Ferguson. We never had a fight, but you know the first time I played against him in New York, I mean in uh, in Montreal, mm-hmm. he was carrying a puck. He was coming around behind his defenseman. I could have nailed him. Guess what? I tapped my hockey stick eh, on the ice. He saw me, passed the puck. We were never had a battle, but, man, did he beat up on some of our players. We're buddy-buddy. <laughs> you, know, you know, sometimes you don't make a guy, uh, you know, I hate to use the word, but, uh, you know, uh, do something to him in his first game at home. Eh? <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Another guy. Right. The Richards. Ari, uh, I played against uh, the Rockets. Uh, he was at the tail end of his career. But Ari gave me a lot of hard time because he was very fast. He can go outside, like, you know. Uh, tough little guy. I've had a couple battles with him but one time i went to hit him right at center ice he saw me you know he, he had his radar up and he he made believe he couldn't see me i thought he had his head down and when i went to hit him he jumped at me and he when he jumped at me with his rear end like sideways hit my shoulder and separate my shoulder but anyway that's part of the game glenn hall Greatest goaltender I played against, a wit, you know. But it's very hard for me. I say he was great. Uh, they all say Sawchuk was better. But uh, people got to understand that when Sawchuk was playing, he was playing uh, with great teams, Howell, Lindsay, and all these guys that win championship. And when Glenn came to us, uh, we didn't have the greatest club. And if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have won the cup that year. Bobby Hall. My buddy. He's my buddy. He never said a word against me. I never said a word against him. We had great time together. Uh, him and I, we just somehow knew where we were at all times. This is a, this one thing about playing hockey. If you want to, you got to know where all the players are at all times. Eh? And uh, with Bobby, we just had a, a somehow a touch about. I knew where he was when he wanted the puck, and man, I, I saw him score some beautiful goals. Dave Dryden, I hope you tell the story that's from the book, because that's why I included I in this. I not. <laughs> Dave Dryden, why did you bring him up? <laughs> oh, Dave is a goaltender. <laughs> Boy, well, you guys read the book, I think. Huh? Yes, I did. Yes, Mark, Mark read the book. <laughs> I'll read uh, it next. <laughs> well, well, what did you, well, let me ask you one question. What did you think of the book? I love the book, and I love the Dave Dryden story. Uh, you know, the, the fact that you know he was cheap and always. Yeah, you. I, I want you to tell the story about the team <laughs> meeting and how you guys finally got him. That's awful. He's a lawyer here in Toronto. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, I was a captain, eh? and uh, well, when we always together, four or five guys, like you know, we go and have a beer or something uh, at a restaurant, and. And, uh, you know, he'd have one and maybe order a little bit of thing. And then he would say, okay, uh, here's, I owe uh, $5. And he'd put it down and he'd leave. Eh? And I didn't really like that. And we would stay there and we split the bill all the time. Eh? So I figured I'd teach him a lesson one time. And I'd call a meeting. Uh, 
and I had talked to all the guys, and I said, this time, we're, we're really going to order up pretty good. So we had uh, orders. We start, first of all, we had a beer or two, then all of a sudden he decided to go. I said, no, that we're having a players' meeting. I think you've got to stay. So, oh, okay. I didn't know you. So what we did, you know, we start ordering a few drinks, and then we ordered T-bones and lobsters and all that. <laughs> He wasn't ordering because he thought he was going to pay five bucks, eh? Finally, I said, okay, we all split the bill. Like, you know, oh, he pretty much shit his pants, you know. Uh, you know, and, you know, and finally he learned the lesson, you know. You can't leave the, you know, you got to share the bill. And finally, the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the name Pierre Pilat. Lucky. Lucky? I was lucky, lucky. I was very fortunate. I don't know why, but I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, I was dedicated, and I'm still pretty healthy, which is good. And uh, all my life, you know, I, mean, I, I have uh, met the right friend somehow. I was kind of a loner. I was shy. But uh, one of the things that I always, even if I, I've had business of my own, like, you know, but even when I was playing hockey, one of the things I always have, every player or everybody, even you guys working for the station, you have to have the ownership interest. As if it's your own business, then you'd be successful. Excellent. A wonderful book, Pierre Palat, The Heart of the Blackhawks, available everywhere. Pierre, thanks so much for your time tonight. A great, great story. Great part of the NHL history. As I said, three-time Norris Trophy winner, as well as an NHL Hall of Famer. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Hey, it's great, you guys. Uh, 